on this episode of The Jason Wright Show. And coming down the mountain right into the lake. And I'm like, I'm about to get into this thing. I have not been keeping up on my cold thermogenesis protocol that our mutual friend Ben Greenfield would suggest. I've been lackadaisy on my cold exposure. And it was tough. And yeah. But it's, it's, it's really just about the steel will of just saying you're going to do it and then just doing it. So my buddy, James Quandall, I'm looking through the Instagrams and without giving me any forewarning or anything, he's on the other side of the world in Norway, which is one of my dream destinations. I want to go to the Scandinavian countries just because it looks beautiful. I think it'd be so cool. And so I asked if I could crash his and his beautiful bride's uh, vacation for a moment today and just catch up and find out how it's going and get a report. So, man, thanks for making the time. It's my pleasure, and it's going well. And I think I set the record for longest time to get to Norway consecutively. It took us 33.5 hours of travel to make it here. Oh, dear. Was it just layovers and changing? What was the route? Because you're coming from South Carolina, I suppose. That's where the start was. We started in South Carolina, and we were supposed to fly through the Netherlands. And when we got to the airport to check in for the international flight from from Savannah to JFK to Netherlands to Norway, they said, oh, you you can't do that unless you got all the vaccines. Mm -hmm. And we're like, well, we didn't do that. And they said, well, then you can't travel. We're like, "Uh, (sighs) we're just going through the Netherlands. We're going to be there for an hour we have the COVID test, like we, we took a, we, we can get a negative test. We're going to Norway, which is completely open, mask free, vaccine free, testing free, just wide open. And they said, no, sorry, you can't go. And we're standing in the airport, just not sure what to do. <laughs> and so I send my dad a text and he travels a lot. I think he's a what they call a three million miler he's a diamond 360 their top tier program so he's like let me call my line and basically long story short we ended up flying through paris instead which let us come through and we made it but our 15 hour travel was ended up turning into a 33 and a half hour of travel (laughs) oh dude see that's one of my biggest fears right traveling right now internationally i mean jimla and i want to get back to paris so bad but I'm afraid of that. And actually, uh, Jordan Selleck, who um, has been on the show a couple times, I wanted to do an Ironman with him over in, in the south of France. And I was like, man, I'm just afraid to get over there. And then with this whole COVID thing and the vaccination deal, I was like, if I don't meet their requirements because they had all these different things, I'm like, I just don't want to get in that. So, and I actually heard a story. Some of our friends, dude, very similar to what you and Emily went through. They flew all the way to Hawaii. And discovered that they did not have the correct um, test, COVID test, and they wouldn't let them out of the airport. They sent them right back home. I mean, could you imagine flying to Hawaii and then having to turn? That had to have been a stressful situation, man. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, we did not. What was weird was, and I don't want to have a whole conversation about COVID. Uh, I try not to talk about it because there's COVID fatigue, and (laughs) but this is just interesting. Right, Um, Netherlands wanted us to have whatever proof of the 
two or three vaccines. No testing, though. We didn't have to show a negative COVID test to go there. Paris, though, so they switched us to Paris, mm-hmm. and Paris didn't require a vaccine, but they required you to have a negative COVID test within 48 hours. So we're sitting in the airport. We had the test with us, but you had to do it virtually on a webcam in front of someone within hmm. 48 hours. So we sat on the floor in the lobby of the airport, made an appointment, connected, took the tests. They were negative, showed them to the flight person at, at the at the desk. And by the time we got all that done, we missed the flight that they rebooked us on through Paris. So we had to get a do another one. And that's really what took the longest. But Paris was, I think you could travel to Paris right now. Um, you just need the COVID test 48 hours prior. And mm-hmm. then you sign up for an EU sort of passport, which is like a QR code okay. that gets scanned whenever you go in any place. Um, if you're okay with doing that, Paris seems to be pretty neat. And we actually have a I think a seven or eight hour layover in Paris on the way back. And we're thinking of leaving the airport and going and exploring for a short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're real strategic about it, I mean, the cool thing about Paris is it's so large and it's so, but it's very dense. And so that would give you some time to actually move around. So yeah, I would, that would be awesome. Well, at least to go to the Art de Triomphe and, you know, kind of all, all through there, you could probably even head over to the Eiffel Tower, which is one of the things that I learned about Paris and people told Jim and I before we went was that even as touristy as the Eiffel Tower hold, the, the, how it sounds, it's well worth it. And it was. It, it's, it's cool, man. So, but don't waste your time, especially since you're limited on time, this would be my suggestion. Don't try to go to the top of the Eiffel Tower. Instead, just go up to the tar- top of the arc, and just and you can have a better view. Actually, it's 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 really it, and most people are like, no, I have to go to the top of the uh, the Eiffel Tower. But if you go to the top of the Arc de Triomphe, it's it's better. It's a great view. It's not as crowded, and uh, that's what we did. That's my my buddy Matt Wagner suggested that, and it was one of the best suggestions as far as just kind of a touristy thing to do. So. Hey folks, real quick, sorry to interrupt, but I had to tell you a really quick story. Okay, so every Thursday morning, my buddy John and I, we go for a nice long walk. And on these walks, we tend to try to solve at least a third of the world's problems. Well, there was one problem that we solved this past Thursday that I have to tell you about. Whenever we get through with our walk, John, my little angel, he tells me his dogs are barking, his feet are hurting, he needed relief, he needed help. I said, John, I said, have you ever tried zero shoes? He said, no, I have not. I said, John. What have I been telling you? Have you not listened to the Jason Wright Show? Do you not read the Vitruvian Letter? Do you not listen and understand that these are the best shoes anywhere for happy feet? And you, you my friends, you John, I told him you John, I'm telling you folks, you too can have happy feet. Go to jasonrightnow.com forward slash happy dash feet and check out Zero Shoes. These are game changers John, my little angel, he got a pair of them, and he sent me a text right there on the textings and said, game changer. He got his first pair in. He loves them. His feet are no longer hurting. His dogs are no longer barking. It's just a happy day, and I want you to to have happy feet. And also, it helps support the show. Zero Shoes, I am an affiliate of theirs. And so, yes, by using the jasonrightnow.com forward slash happy dash feet, if you decide to order a pair of Zero Shoes, you are supporting the Jason Wright Show, and I am so grateful for that. So now, back to the program. Go get some happy feet.
That's awesome, dude. I think that will be on our list of things to do a longer trip to France because um, we actually did see the Eiffel Tower while we were landing. Oh, really? Out of the window. So that was, I've only ever seen it in pictures and movies and everything, pop culture. But just seeing it in the real world, even through an airplane window, was mind-blowing. Yeah, it is. It's it's really, it, it is is. Every bit as cool and then some is what, what it's made out to be. All right, well, let's talk about Norway, dude. So how did you choose Norway? And again, that's one of the places I want to go uh, so badly. So tell me a little bit about the highlights thus far. So didn't really know what to expect. Work and life has been sort of busy this year. And so we didn't do a lot of planning of what we were going to do here. We booked three weeks and we two weeks in a rural area and one week in the biggest city in the country. And it's a huge country, but not a lot of people live here. Right. So, you know, the, the, the rural area is, I mean, there's basically nothing around us and we love it. It's quiet. We're right on a lake. I, the first day we got here, I went out and jumped in. I saw, and was it, it cold? Was, it, it was, it was very cold. Um, and you can see in the background as I'm walking towards the lake, this is what freaked me out. I could see a mountain that was half a mile away with ice on the top and snow. And you can see the water melting and coming down the mountain right into the lake. And I'm oh, like, man. I'm about to get into this thing. I have not been keeping up on my uh, cold thermogenesis protocol that our mutual friend Ben Greenfield would mm-hmm. suggest. Mm-hmm. I've been lackadaisy on my cold exposure and it was tough. And, yeah. but it's, it's, it's really just about the steel will of just saying you're going to do it and then just doing it. But man, that was pretty neat. I bet. And when I watched that on your Instagram, I was like, man, that, see, I still haven't done that. I, I mean, you know, I've just done my, my ice baths and stuff I do here, but I've never been like in a natural setting. Well, I mean, cause like even whenever I did my snow baths in Boulder, that was just, you know, you know, kind of wiping snow, but I've never like submerged in like natural water. I mean, I've been up in the, in, uh, hiking in the Rockies, but this during the summer, I don't, it just wasn't as cold as what you experienced. So man, I was, I was totally envious of that. So that, that's well, cool. That's cool. So throughout the rest of this trip, everywhere we went and now i was like i want to jump in that water right there yeah it gave me this confidence to go and do it unfortunately here i just ran inside as soon as i got out into a boiling hot shower it was completely fine (laughs) if i was on top of the mountain that we were hiking when i saw this little pond with snow all around it and i wanted to jump into that i'm like how would i warm back up i might get hypothermia i have no idea because this was serious cold right on top of a Two uh two thousand foot elevation mountain in Bergen, and there was snow everywhere, and there was a little pond, I guess, that was fed by the ice. And I was like, I want in that so bad, it's not even funny. Yeah, that's <laughs> so awesome. Well, okay, so what did you do? Are you are you like uh, Airbnb, VRBO, and kind of you said you're in a little like a farmhouse with a lake? That sounds fantastic. Kind of give me the paint the setting for me. Yeah, so we're in an Airbnb. And we're 20 minutes from the city of Bergen, and that's on the west side of Norway, and it's the second biggest city in Norway. Okay. And it is an iconic city. It's an old city. It's typical Norwegian style where you see all the 
red, green, brown buildings mm -hmm. all lined up, everything made out of wood here and slate roofs. And what's so cool about where we are is it feels like they did a really good job taking advantage of getting as much light into here as possible. There's windows everywhere in here and it's a really odd shaped place. Yeah. And you can see the mountains or the lake out every single window here. The, the floors in here are all slate floors and they have uh, floor heaters. So basically everywhere they have heat floor heaters, there's three, there's two wood burning stoves and one fireplace in this small little place. They don't have the typical heat that we have. It's all radiant heat. So they have radiators, even though this is a new house, they have radiators all over and it's, it's, it's pretty neat. I mean, there's, there's a sheep farm on one side of us and a horse farm on the other. And there's like this one mile loop that goes right next to the lake. And just once or twice a day, we've just been going out and doing that loop Ugh. when we aren't out hiking and there's hiking galore in Bergen. So Bergen actually has is all these mountains surround the city of Bergen. And there's seven mountains of Bergen where once a year they do this Ultraman type event where in one day you hike all seven of the mountains in a continuation. It's like a circle around the city. And I heard about that before we came. I was like, you know, it'd be really fun to hike on all seven mountains, Bergen. And so we just started doing it. And so far we've hiked four of the seven and we only have three left. And the one we did two days ago, Mount Ulrichen was the highest of all of them. It was 2000 feet of elevation and you climb it in less than half a mile of distance through 1300 granite steps that are all step you so you're stepping up 2000 feet of elevation in half a mile and oh. the only thing i've ever seen that came close to this that i also did was the manitou the manitou springs incline in uh outside boulder colorado yeah yeah part of it i've never done it i'm sure abby has it's pretty neat and we did that once at a keon retreat or maybe we did it twice um but this was, that one was made out of railroad ties. Mm -hmm. This one was actually made by Tibetan Sherpas that came to Norway and carried these stones from the surrounding mountainside and yeah. stacked them up into almost like a stairway to heaven up this mountain. Oh, that's so freaking cool. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. So, and, and then like, okay, you said you were before that, that like the whole trip, which to me, that's amazing. That's what I love about going to Boulder. It's so easy to just kind of step out, not to compare Boulder to Norway, but just like, that's why I like going up there. There's just, I see why people get so like, I, why Abby doesn't want to come, come home. You know I mean? There's just, you just walk out the door and there's so much just natural beauty and things you can do actively. So Kind of tell me about the culture, kind of the the differences. And one of the things I'm really interested in with all the global affairs happening, I, like I like going over to other countries, in particular, 
you know, like China and places like that and read the news and watch their local news as best, you know, especially if it's got an English translation to see how they're reporting on things back in the States. So kind of tell me a little bit about that, just the, the culture and the people and is, do, do they speak English very, is it like, you know, in a lot of the, you know, the Western European countries, you know, English is pretty much, you know, the international language, so you can kind of move around. But uh, like when I've been in Asia, yeah, that's not the case. It's a lot of pointing and <laughs> gestures. I mean, kind of what's the the flavor there? So didn't follow any news here, but have talked to a lot of people and almost everyone speaks English here in Norway. And okay. I, we knew that coming in that 80s. 80 to 88 percent of the people speak English okay. and they may speak English better than me. It is interesting. The most difficult part so far for us, we're not eating out at restaurants. We're cooking. We've ate out a, a couple times, but going to the grocery store and trying to find your food yeah. when nothing's in English has been very <sighs> difficult. And it's not like, oh, there's an avocado, there's a cucumber, there's um, spinach or whatever. It's like, how do you even find steel cut oats or peanut butter or whatever? And me and Emily have gotten so dialed in on our food that that's been definitely the most difficult part is finding food. And I can't believe how many sweets Norwegians seem to eat. Really? It's okay. So it's almost the beginning of May when we're, when we're recording this conversation and it's not warm. I mean, it's forties and fifties and everyone's eating ice cream. <laughs> like at the top of all these mountains that we've hiked, they have these little restaurants and shops, which is weird too. Like you're literally in the middle of nowhere, just hiked a mountain for the last three hours. And then bam, there's like a ski resort at the top and everybody's eating ice cream. <laughs> and I'm like, and then they're in shorts and I'm, like, I'm in a wool hat, wool sweater, t-shirt, pants, wool socks, a winter jacket, and I'm freezing and they're in shorts and short sleeves and they are eating ice cream. So that's been quite interesting, I would say. Where, and, and what is their, what, what is their, like, how do they receive you? Or is it like, ah, look at this guy come on up. There's a freaking American. It's gotta be, you know, what's the reception like? They have been extremely welcoming in Norway. Cool. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's because I make eye contact and I talk slowly and I, um, I ask if someone speaks English instead of assuming if they speak English and right. I'm trying to be mindful of the fact that I'm in someone else's territory and yeah. I'm wanting to absorb their culture. I don't want them to absorb mine. Yeah. Uh, but everyone's been extremely friendly, but not outwardly friendly. Like we're maybe used to, mm -hmm. they seem to be all introverts really? and they have sort of a stoic face like I'm from the South and I wave to everybody, say hello to everybody. Right. And it's always a really weird feeling when they don't reciprocate mm -hmm. in Norway. It seems like you can kind of just go about your own business and mind your own business. When we were sitting in the airport in Oslo, there was like 75 people at the gate. It was silent. You could, he, it was absolutely silent. There was nothing. Everyone was whispering. They would move their bags 
in silence. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever witnessed because in an American airport, <laughs> yeah, it's anything but. you have a headache after an hour. <laughs> right. It was completely silent. And then like someone walked up and they were talking and they were laughing. Everyone in the terminal turned their head and looked at the per the person. So like, really? they have that was really strange. And another really strange thing we noticed on the transportation we've taken basically every form of transportation so far which was new for us mm -hmm. um i have never lived in a city and so i've never done all this mass transit but they are so efficient you wouldn't believe it really? when the plane lands and taxis to the gate and you hear that little ding that the seat belts are up every single person on the plane is up has their bag and is in the aisle walking in a second like really? the plane got off in like two minutes in America, it's like, okay, you just sat on an airplane for four hours. Wouldn't you want to get off? And we just sit there and it's like, you feel like you don't go anywhere. Right. They just like, they actually opened up the back of the plane. We were leaving out the front and the back. I'm like, what is going on here? I've never seen this before. <laughs> and it was, in, it was instantaneous. And it was the same on the trains. There was, when we were coming back from a city yesterday, we did like uh, a little, um, day two-day trip to another town and we got a hotel there uh -huh. even though we had our airbnb we wanted to explore somewhere a little farther north and the train there's like one minute between trains wow like we had to get off one train get on another train and then it left and it was a one minute of time and it was an, like they planned everything well enough to be able to do that it was shocking <laughs> wow that's so cool and and see i know I know little to nothing about the Norwegian culture, like the things that they celebrate, the, the, the behaviors, their kind of their, their, I don't know, just their, their social norms. I am not at all familiar with. And so like whenever, have you gone like into the, the town at night? Is it bustling? Is it, is everybody like one of the things that shocked, uh, Jimlin and I about Paris is how late everyone stayed up and how late they got the day started. I mean, it would be like 10 a.m., and you would think we were out at 5 a.m. It was hard to even get a cup of coffee sometimes in freaking Paris at 10 a.m. You know, I mean, everything starts so slow, but then goes so late. What is kind of what does that look like? It does not seem like that at all. It is early to rise, early to bed from what I can tell. Okay. And what's the strangest thing is it's bright when we wake up and it's bright when we go to bed still. Uh, uh, the day is extremely long here. I don't know if the sun doesn't go down till maybe 10 p.m. or something. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so there's blackout curtains all over in this place, thankfully, because I would be in big trouble. But we've sort of had a hard time adjusting our circadian rhythm here yeah. because the lighting is pretty unpredictable compared to what we're used to. Yeah. And um I, I don't know much about the nightlife yet. We're going to go to Oslo in a week, and that's the big city. And yeah. we're going to be staying in the downtown. So I'm going to know a lot more about sort of the day-to-day. -day. But what I can tell you being in Bergen is it felt like a lot of people just left at the end of the day. And it it seemed like the, the workday ends a little bit earlier, and they were just exiting the city and 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 we got to a parking garage pretty early one day and it was completely empty, but we came one afternoon and it was just completely full. So I'm still figuring that out, but we'll know more once we're going to Oslo, which will be staying in sort of a, a hip town. It's probably more like a Austin type town. And, okay. 
um, coffee shops and pubs and um, music and um, lots of that sort of stuff. So we'll get to see a lot more of that culture. That's really cool because that's one of the things that I, I'm so bad, man, about um, whenever I travel, I get my bearings and I just stay within a real tight proximity. And that's one of the things that Jill and I have talked about. When we go back to Europe, we want to have a home base, but then we like maybe want to rent a car or take trains and really explore and get out there. How long are you guys gone? I mean, this is awesome, man. I'm so, I'm, this is such a cool thing. So how long is this total trip taking? It's uh, 21 days, I think. And that is awesome. we are blessed that we both work remote. Yep. And so we made sure we found two places that had fast internet. And so we can work and we can play. And we're going to try to take advantage of that as much as we can. Because you look around on Airbnb and you can find very affordable places that are killer. And maybe they don't have a million reviews and you might be taking a slight chance on some of them, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, it's pretty neat. And we, because we did rent a car actually, and that has been a whole nother adventure of its own renting a car in Norway. <laughs> um, and so we have gotten to go where we wanted to go and really feel we've immersed ourselves to where it feels like we're living here. Now we've been doing our grocery shopping We've been running our errands. We've been trying to find best prices on things. Like we've been doing like what we'll be doing at home. I love and that. That's where we're really learning a lot by doing that. Dude, that is so awesome, man. All right, well, okay, because this is kind of what you and I geek out on is just kind of the whole biohacking and kind of living an alternate lifestyle of, you know, a, you know, kind of against the grain, entrepreneurship and all this stuff that we're, we're always, you know, talking about and geeking out on. So, how and, and the th cool thing about this is like we've talked about on your show how you know i like kind of i did some bold steps way back when to get into entrepreneurship and to me what you're doing man i mean this is a life experience that you guys are going to both build upon and look back on for from now on it's such a bold move that most people that listen to this or what are watching they, they just think I couldn't do that for 21 days and go become a local in a Scandinavian country for a while. So how did you prepare for it? How did you take some of the, like, again, like the silly stuff that you and I do, like you're like, how did you uh, prepare to reset your circadian rhythm or your structured water? I know you're doing, you, you got natural setting for ice baths and thermogenesis, you know? So how did you incorporate all this stuff that you and I are always geeking out on, which it's so easy to do in the States because we've got, everything at our disposal and tell me how you built up to this trip and plan for it so one thing I, I i'm in the middle of reading a book by an author named bill perkins and the name of the book is die with zero i think i've heard of that okay i gotta write that down because i i need to get that you're the second person that's mentioned that to me okay and the premise of the book that stuck with me and he's going to come on to my podcast okay soon we're working on scheduling it and we're going to geek out on this he called it memory dividends i love that if you're 30 years old and you take a three-week trip no matter what it costs let's say it costs you five grand i right. think you could you could do a modest trip for five thousand dollars sure you will be able to use that trip the memories of that trip for the next 50 years of your life. If you wait until you're 70 
you may only get 10 years to dip into that memory and you may not have been able to live it up. You probably won't be hiking in the seven mountains of Bergen yep. when you're 70. What a great and way so to think about it. My thought is how can I maximize the flexibility and freedom that I worked so hard to build mm -hmm. strategically, as you mentioned mm -hmm. now yep. and be able to capitalize on that for the rest of my life with these memories. And, and that's sort of how I'm trying to frame it where sure, maybe that makes it so we can't build our farm dream house or have some other goal we had now, mm -hmm. but we have this other thing we can tap into at any time, whenever I want, I can remember the trip we took yesterday on a boat down the narrow fjord in Norway, where I saw these unbelievable mountains and ice and, and just, just mind blowing pictures that it felt to me like, I, I can't even describe the beauty. The pictures don't even do it justice. It changed who I am as a person, just seeing these views and seeing how marvelous the creation God made was. And it makes me want to go and do more. Like, what does Austria look like? What does New Zealand look like? What does, you know, Brazil look like? What does this world look like? And a 401k is great, but where's the investment in your experiences right now, today? Because there may not be a tomorrow. I love it. Well, that's one of the things, you know, that, uh, you know, James Altucher that you and I are always talking about is, you know, it's one of the things he says whenever these guys come on about all this and granted, you know, I, there is, I'm, I'm not suggesting you shouldn't save money. I don't think James is either, but you know, he talks about, well, yeah, but if you, you save up for all this, you save all this money and you don't live basically. And I think that that's, I think it's cool to, and also just the stuff like you, what you made me think about there about not building the farmhouse or whatever. So in, uh, in the, the 80, 20 rule that, that book, it, it talked about like, I think it was the 80-20 rule where it just took the average U.S. house and how much space people actually spend in the house. And it was 20% of the time they were in, they, they spent 80% uh, of their time in 20% of the square footage of the house. So therefore, you have these people, and like I live in a neighborhood where there's just these massive houses. Ours is not one of them. I mean, Jimlin and I, we are like right in the middle in kind of the uh, the townhome section of this of this this neighborhood that has all these big massive houses. And it's like we look around, we're like, you know, eventually one, you just get used to it and tired of it. You don't have that elation that you guys are going to have when you recall the memory of seeing something that that literally it's the only one there. You can't recreate that mountain. You can't recreate that lake or that, that you can recreate that experience, but just it's, it's so much more meaningful whenever you do drill in on experiences versus stuff. And this is something that Jimlin and I talk about a lot and we're so into. And so I, to hear you and Emily doing this at the, you know, you're younger than me. And, uh, I think it's, it's genius. And I love the idea of calculating things like that of, because it, it, I mean, it fits right into something I'm really trying to do is eliminate regret that I, I make regret my enemy because there will come a point. I don't care how many episodes of Peter Atia's Drive podcast or how much you know research of Ben Greenfield's that we we absorb. All of us are going to if you get to eighty or ninety, you're going to be limited by age. I don't care how well you've done it. And that you just you're, we're running out of time. So 
Man, that sounds amazing. Have you ever read the book um, uh, by Rolf Pott, uh, Vagabonding? Mm-mm. I think but I you, think I saw that you mentioned that in one of the Vitruvian letters recently. Yeah, it's man. I think you would totally dig it. And the cool thing is, man, because you're executing this, and you and Emily are really actually getting out there and doing this stuff. Um, and what he talks about, I, I learned of the book from Tim Ferriss because you know Tim Ferriss. I mean, he did what you're doing. I mean, you're you're following the path. So many people read the Four Hour Work Week and go, "Oh man, that's awesome!" And I'm going to get real efficient. I'm going to outsource my life or whatever. I'm going to start a protein bar company and I'm going to be Tim Ferriss. Most of those people, like everything else, don't do anything. Their life doesn't change at all. They get excited. It's kind of like church camp. They go to church camp. They come back on fire and then eh, regular life. You guys are actually executing and. One of those books that he, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that kind of helped him design his, uh, you know, kind of remote life was reading uh, Vagabonding by Rolf Potts, which talks about if you do it right, like what you're talking about, you can find some pretty cost-effective places to stay for the long term. Medical expenses are not what you would think if you have to have something done. Um, So, dude, I'm just, I'm envious, man. You're executing. I love it. This is is awesome, man. That book, Die With Zero, Bill Perkins, also did two other things that were interesting. And we already had this trip planned before, but it it is invigorating me to continue and take it to another level. And they were to do some more mortality uh, actuary table information. And there's a whole bunch of calculators online. And enter if you're a smoker, enter your BMI, enter your current age, enter all these different things in and find out how long you're going to live statistically. Mm. And for me, it was 98 years old. I was pretty happy about that. Yeah, Nice. But what he said was at 50, the IRS or whomever releases this data shows that the annual expenditures decrease every decade after 50. And in people's seventies and eighties, their net worths are still going up. So if the concept that we have of save for your retirement, so then you can go and enjoy all the fruits of your right. labor right. worked, net worths would be going down and expenditures would be going up. But that isn't the case. So something in that equation is off from what we're expecting. Yeah. And we need to do something about it. Yeah. And uh, the world's a pretty big place. And you can travel pretty well if you can use Google Flight Tracker to find a good deal on a flight. If you go, maybe not at peak season. We're here in Norway right now before tourist season. It's not okay. tourist season yet. When the hotel we stayed in two days ago had 30 guests. They oh, wow. normally have hundreds of guests. And so we're actually getting to see Norway as the locals do and do it for less money because it's not tourist high season. And both of those, in my opinion, are wins. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And what makes it to, what makes it high season? Just the weather? It gets a little warmer, or what? Yeah, it gets a little warmer. We've been actually had pretty good weather for the time of year. It's been warmer than usual, but I think tourist season in Norway is beginning in middle to late May slash early June, as it gets a little bit more approachable for 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 people that aren't polar bears. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Okay, so what about what what have you learned since you've been there that you're like, oh gosh, I wish I'd known this, wasn't prepared for this. You had to kind of call an audible any anything? 
we don't have an international credit card. So when I checked our bank statement, we're getting all these fees for using our credit card here. That was new. So, okay. and it's too late for me to do anything about it now. And so we're probably going to have three, $400 in chase fees right. for using our card in another country. If we would have known in advance, we could have gotten an international fee free card and right. they don't even cost any extra money. Yep. That was one. Two, if you're going to be working in another country, you really need to bring more than one uh, electrical uh, converter for the European power. We only brought yeah. one. Yeah. So this morning I had to unplug my laptop to plug in my toothbrush. <laughs> and so my laptop's dying, phone's dying, Emily's computer's dying, toothbrush is dying, everything is dying. <laughs> and just because you can drive on the roads in the U.S., and park in grocery stores and malls or whatever doesn't mean you're going to be able to do that in Norway where they all drive these miniature cars right. and I'm driving for some reason. I don't know if it was a joke at the airport. They gave me this gigantic car <laughs> and we've every time we've parked, one of us had had to get out of the car and help the other person to park. And uh. it has been an absolute nightmare the memories that we gained going down these little winding mountain oh, yeah. roads. Yeah. The roads are two way, but it's one road. Right. And so like the car's coming, we have to pull like off the non-existent shoulder that happens to be a cliff. Right. And I hope they don't bump us off the edge. I'm like, not prepared for that one bit, but loving the experience of it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Now, do you drive on the, the well, uh, for typical America, do you drive on the right side of the road? This, we rent, we get the car at the airport and I didn't even think I knew that yet, which side I was going to be driving. <laughs> we did not prepare at all. We just kind of <laughs> just came, but yes, they drive on the right side of the road here, thankfully, because that would have been another fun thing to learn. And we found out yesterday, our car is actually an electric car and we hadn't charged it. Oh, so, it's gas and electric. And so for like the last three days, we're like, man, this car is really great gas mileage. <laughs> the gas tank hasn't moved at all the entire time we've been here. <laughs> and then yesterday we're like, man, gas is really starting to like, like go down. Like what did we stop doing? And we realized the car was actually an electric vehicle. I've seen more Teslas mm. in Norway <clears throat> than anywhere I've ever been. And they, Everybody seems to have a Tesla. I mean, no matter you look at a farmhouse or some condo or whatever, everyone's got a Tesla. So really? that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you were back in the States, we might cover, you know, the, you know have you heard? There's some news going on with the founder of Tesla. What's that guy's name? Uh, so, yeah, it, it's uh, it's all Elon Twitter all the time over here. Even if you're guys like you and I who try to avoid the news, man. And actually, in the Vitruvian letter, I actually – Take a little bit of a different spin. I don't talk about the, the you know how I don't, I don't get into the kind of the ideological side of things, but I do mention Elon Musk, and uh, I, I have a pretty clever title called "If a tweet falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it, does it make a sound?" Kind of playing on the does it well. It, that, just look at my Twitter account, and I will tell you that it does not make a sound because most of my tweets aren't seen. Yeah, and so <laughs> yeah, same, same. Yeah. Elon Musk, he is doing something in Norway with the Tesla and it's impressive. And my only thought about the whole Twitter uh, debate was, 
what would have been my downside if I heard when I read, I read the SEC filing on the day he sent that, mm -hmm. that text message offer letter for whatever it was, 5420 a share right. or something weird. Right. And what if I bought $10,000 of it right then? I think it was like a 20 or 30% return mm -hmm. of what the offer was. Like that sort of investment stuff, I don't really understand it. And yeah. I sometimes wish I knew because I pay attention to so many different things that I hear interesting things like that quickly, I would say, before it hits mainstream media. But I haven't executed except one time I did. And Emily and I started putting $200 a month into this random brokerage account, completely separate from everything else that we do. And we said, this is for the game stops, the, the random things you hear about that you're like, let me just see what mm -hmm. happens. Mm -hmm. And we, I read on Twitter that Donald Trump was going to be doing a new social media platform. And I bought it that day at $13 a share and made a 600% return on that. Wow. Just nice. by following the sort of trends. Yeah. Of the news. You know, that would be a fun conversation. Maybe you can make this happen since you're friends with Altucher. That would be a fun conversation because he's good at that, right? He, he just, he, he's been at it. And I used to be that guy. I don't know where I got away from it, James. I, when I was much younger, I mean, like right out of undergrad, I was all in and people would come to me for investment advice, not because I was smart. I mean, all, also I graduated undergrad in 97. So I went through that, the tech boom where you could be a complete moron and make money. But I knew things before and I would, I was all in and then I just lost interest. I think, you know, I just, when I started making money more on hard assets, real estate and stuff like that, I just like, mm. but so much of, of, it's just like Gordon Gecko says that information is the greatest commodity, right? And it is when you know, but then to actually execute on it, I probably need to be better about that. I find that I'm just kind of lazy. I'm like you, I'll know kind of what's going on and I can kind of have an idea of stuff I should do, but I don't. I mean, for me at this point, it's just, if it doesn't interest me, I've got a real, I don't know if there's a good thing or a bad thing, but I've gotten to the point where if it doesn't interest me, if it's not creative and it doesn't like, if it's, if the only outcome for an action is money, I'm probably out. I'm probably out. I just, it just, I just, it, ugh, I don't know. And that's, I don't think that's a good thing. I don't think that's, I mean, it, it is and it isn't. I don't think it's very, I think it's at times I probably take it to an irresponsible level, you know, but I don't know. But anyway, it'd be kind of fun to have a conversation have a with James. Problem. I have a problem with where in this, I mean, it's right in the Bible. I don't, I don't know the, the scripture verse exactly, but the summary is where your money is, is mm -hmm. where your heart is. Mm -hmm. And if I put a thousand bucks onto a stock, that stock is my new idol. I'm looking at what it's doing. If it's going up, if it's going down, it's stressing mm -hmm. me out. That's why I haven't done a lot of that kind of investment is, is it worth the, is it worth it really? Yeah. And you don't, I can't control what's happening. It's basically completely out of my control. Yep. And for what to make a little money? Like, uh, I don't know it. I've, I've felt like I've been missing out on some of those trends, Same, which is why I started that account. Yep. And I mean, I heard about the GameStop thing before it blew up and, mm -hmm. and I just didn't have the system set up to take advantage. And yep. so I created the system to take advantage. One thing James did tell me once though, was buy the rumor 
and sell the news. So with that DWAC stock, I was trying really hard to know when to get out. I got in at a great time. It, I got in at $13 and it went up to $150 a share. Wow. That's, that's why awesome. it was 1,000% up. But when do you get out? You, if you got in at a good time, that's great. But how do you know when to get out? And yeah. what he told me is you have to sell the news. And when I started to see news come out about bugs in the system, user problems, all this other stuff, I said, that's the news right there. I don't need to know anything else. The hype is now gone and I sold. And that's yeah. why I made, you know, 600 something percent return and it's now gone uh, way down. And so I think that's a pretty good strategy, but it's all just speculation. And so it should just be, I, there's a, you might've read this in school. I'm not sure it's uh Graham and it's one of the uh -huh. investment Bibles. I've got it. Intelligent right. investor. Yeah. That's, and, I've got it right there on my shelf. That's uh Warren Buffett's, uh, uh, mentor. Yeah. He basically said in that book, and this is what stuck with me, that if you want, if you want to buy on speculation, which is what I did on that stock, it should be separate from your real money and it should be a small amount of money and you should basically consider it gambling money. Yeah. It's not anything but gambling money. And right. I think we need some outlets like that occasionally. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's good advice. I think that's good advice. And, uh, you know, one of my buddies, I love that idea. Buy on the rumor, sell on the news. Uh, one of my buddies, a guy named Jim, he's, and of course, he's now a gazillionaire. Well, not a gazillionaire, but he's he doesn't have to work anymore. He's done very, very well in private equity. And one of the things he told me, he, he actually executed exactly what you said with uh, Bank of America during the financial crisis. He, when he first started hearing that Bank of America might go bankrupt. He's like, that's kind of the rumor. He's like, there's no way the government is going to let Bank of America fail. It's just not going to happen. And so he bought on the rumor of like, oh my gosh, what happens if Bank of America goes belly up? He knew that wasn't going to happen. And sure enough, they came in with uh, with TARP and all the, all the rest of the uh, stimulus money that saved B of A. And he killed it on that deal. And it, so I like that. That makes a lot of sense. See, I knew, I knew James Altucher would have some anecdotal advice that really nails this thing. <laughs> Those stories, though, that aren't sexy and end up making people rich every single time are when you buy something you like and you use mm -hmm. and you keep it for a really, really long time, probably forever. Yep. And you do that, you're going to be okay. It's not about what you're investing in as much as that you are investing. Yeah, <laughs> and that's, I, that's <laughs> I agree. And, you know, so the whole set it and forget it. I, and that's the thing, too, uh, just as a, a life lesson. I was so egotistical when I was younger that I thought set it and forget it. I was like, no, I'm too smart for that. I can trade and make money. Never minding the fact that there's Harvard MBAs that are not going to beat the market. And, you know, if you ask Warren Buffett, what would if I if you had ten thousand dollars to invest? What would you do? He said a for, uh, Fortune five hundred or a, a S and P five hundred index fund, right? And so one time I'm at a, I'm at a university at this speaking gig, and it and I wasn't thinking, man, I didn't mean to do this, but I was talking to these undergrads, and and it was two of us in this this section that were that we were speaking at some career day or something, and I told all of them there, I'm like. Hey guys, here's the deal. As young as you are, you need to go plop whatever money you have into a an S and P 500 index fund, and just forget it and add as much as you can every year. You know, whenever as you start making more money, when you get a raise, take a percentage of that, add it, and you will be a millionaire. The, the odds are, 
in 30 to 40 years, you're going to be a millionaire. It's not rocket science. And the guy that was that was presenting or, or speaking after me was a financial advisor. <laughs> he didn't really he didn't really like that because basically I said, yeah, you just go open up a Vanguard account. You don't need this guy. I didn't mean to, and I felt so bad after that. <laughs> but but it's true. I mean, and that's as one of the and I can't, you know this is a, again a topic for a, a philosophical topic for another day. But getting my damned ego out of the way, and I still have it. It still jumps up every once in a while, but. That has been the greatest thing ever because that's where those deals go. I don't have to. The, the smart thing is to just free up that brain real estate to go do other things that are fun and I can make money in real time, kind of Dave Ramsey style. No, you'll never have as great of a return on the money that you, you exchange for your time if you do it right. And just here's a little bit of that money and just let the pros do what they do. And instead of that, and that doesn't mean that I'm weak. It means that, no, I just... Like I told Jim the other day, I'm okay now saying I'm not good at that. There's someone that's much better at that thing than me, so I'm going to let them take it. And it just makes life better. I think we can tie that investment message into a common topic on your show of improvement and health and well-being and health and wellness in the fact that to become a millionaire, it doesn't take a get rich quick or an oh. overnight scheme or a big Facebook type investment before you hear about it. It takes consistency every single day, week after week, month after month, sticking to something that isn't that amazingly beautiful or that catchy, but it just works. Yep. And a lot more people have become millionaires in the United States from their 401k plan that's invested in boring S&P 500 and from their home, their appreciation and paying off their home than any other way. Yep. And so it clearly works. Yep. So let like just do that and make sure that's covered and then go do something crazy with extra money if you have it, but at least take care of your home base and the basics first, I would say. Exactly. All right. Well, See, this is why we, we you know, we've got to get better about this, dude. I, I want to make up because we're, we, you catch up on my show or on your show, and we've got so much ground to cover whenever we, we, we catch up. There's one thing I want to mention, though, to you that I think is really fun is just like also just kind of getting out there and putting yourself in the mix of things consistently. Well, well that, that has a magnetism to it about good things. So just anecdotal. So why aren't you at Paleo Effects this week then? Well, I, I know I should be, but I am going to, I think I am going to go to the, um, what's the podcast one that you're coming to Dallas for? Podcast Movement. Podcast Movement. I had a guy that uh, was so kind uh, through Facebook, reached out to me and said, hey, I listened to your show and I think you would make a good speaker. It, you should sub, uh, submit a topic. Are you doing that? Are you submitting a topic to speak on while you're there? I submitted a topic, but it was completely different than probably people are used to. And I don't know if it fits in with the basic premise. My topic was, oh, I don't remember the exact title, but it was basically how to stay whole so you can still create and be creative. And it mm. was about mindfulness and um, breath work and creating a good home environment and having good habits and routines and really how to take care of yourself because being a creator is hard. Yeah. And if you take care of yourself, you can't consistently do it for a long period of time. And we've seen that again and again in people that 
are out there writing or speaking or performing and kind of just falling apart. It's one of the reasons why I took my, my show took the direction it took from Texas Titans. Is it, this is like, I need to improve always and always and live up to kind of this whole show's motto. And so I, I, I mean, I really kind of took that into account. I was like, why not try to look like, like what you do and what Ben's done and these people that like, why not try to figure out a way to create an ecosystem that when you're quote unquote creating and working, you're doing the thing that will keep you healthy and better, you know? And so, but this is, this is one of the really cool things that I could, I have, I can't wait to tell you that I thought was like, Oh, I can't wait to tell this, tell James. So Noah Kagan was on all teachers podcast, I guess a few weeks ago. I'm listening to him and they're, and he starts talking about giving advice and Noah said, part of it is just getting out there and making yourself available. And he talked about how he knew that that's the reason why he and James knew each other. Right. So you got James, he's on his pod, on Altitude's podcast, which gets millions of downloads. You got Noah Kagan, who has around 300,000 subscribers to his YouTube channel, very successful creator. And these guys are talking. And it struck me immediately. I was like, this is crazy because so they, they've like kind of made that, you know, top echelon of creator, whatever that is, and, and business professional. And then you have this next generation coming behind, like Jason Wright and James Quandall and Mitchell Cohen. Because literally, like I've DM'd with Noah Kagan and, and interacted with James because of you. And then, and so that's how we met. And so just him saying that, I'm sort of going, wow, I'm proof positive that I've actually DM'd with Noah Kagan because of Mitchell Cohen, who was introduced to me by James Quandall, who I, who I first reached out to as a result of the James Altucher podcast. I'm like, that's almost surreal. And it also gave me some encouragement because one of the things you're talking about too is keeping your head straight whenever you are a creator. And you and I have talked about this before. There's a lot of times where you just think you're spinning your wheels and it's like, is this ever going to lead to anything? And, but then it becomes, for me, it's like, I don't care. I'm having too much fun. Even, I mean, some, some people play golf. This is what I do, you know? And so, but you got to keep, keep that focus. Yeah. I, I wonder what separates a Noah Kagan or a James Altucher or a Tim Ferriss from you and me? Is it time? Is yep. it, th is it they did it for a lot longer mm -hmm. or is it, it's, it's definitely time in some way, no question about it. Yep. But then there's also, they got uncomfortable again yep. and again and again and got more no's than we have. Yep. And I think that's where I struggle is I kind of go in, a, a hole and I keep to myself sometimes and I, I'm not reaching out and, and trying to connect or not trying to bring people on my show that are interesting to me. And maybe I go for the easy yes, instead of like a reach, like, and it takes that mental strength to keep doing it again and again. But do you know what I, you mentioned, I, I think this is the key. It's also takes your, your core community, like mm -hmm. you and me, continuing to talk and continuing to share Absolutely. and then share these challenges. Like last, while we were here, like five days ago, I, I asked him, I'm like, should I even keep doing this podcast? Like, why am I even doing this? And that same morning, I got a message from a listener that said they've been listening to the episode all morning long and they had to pause multiple times to think through what was being said. And I have sent them a reply back. I'm like, you know, like, you don't know how badly I needed to hear that 
today. Like today was like quitting day. Like yeah. now, granted, I said I was going to do it for another year. I probably not going to quit, mm -hmm. but there's two kinds of quitting. There's quitting, like you just stop altogether. And then there's quitting as in like, you're just not emotionally in it anymore. And you're not even trying, you're just, just doing the reps and you're not trying. Yep. And it's so easy to almost quit. And Absolutely. It, we need each other to stop from doing that. Well, you're not going to quit. I'm not going to let you. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll just, no, I'm not going to let that happen. But you know what? You asked me um, about kind of like a dream guest. And I, I finally, when you asked it, I'm not a guy that really cares about, like, it's weird, man. I, I come up for, for, for the Jason Wright show, like, like I told you, I've got a, a guy coming today into town to, uh, to interview him. He's somebody, he's kind of like a mentee that I'm mentoring. I thought this would make a good, cool conversation. Like no one will have ever heard of him. So it's not like a, a headliner type guest. But so I don't reach out to people based on their following. And, and I never actually reach out to people to ask them to come on the show because of that. They have a huge audience. And I think, wow, if I can get them, I get to crack into it. I just, I don't, it's not, that's too transactional for me. I, they have to do something that I find really interesting. And I think I want to figure out why they're doing what they're doing. And there's one guy, here's my dream guest now. It's so weird because I have never talked about this person ever. It has nothing to do with health and wellness. But I think because of who he is and now knowing about him through his autobiography is Dave Grohl, the, uh, the, the founder of Foo Fighters, former drummer of Nirvana. If, man, as inspiration, James, for what we were just talking about, his book the storyteller that I, I mean, I, I just blew through this thing. I've always thought he always struck me as this really cool, grounded rock star, a guy that has, I mean, for crying out loud, he played drums behind Kurt Cobain, one of the most oddball kind of out there, you know, rock stars ever. And somehow Dave Grohl has just managed to steadily get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger over time. And reading his journey from sitting down with his guidance counselor, his dad, and his mom and saying, at 17, I'm out. School's not for me. And he grew up in a suburban area outside of Washington, D.C. It wasn't like he was the inner city Detroit kid, like, you know, uh, Marshall Mathers, you know, doing rap contests. And it's like, well, I got to make it big, you know, you know, you know make, make money or die trying. He didn't come from that. It was very strategic. He was smart enough at such a young age to go, I know I'm never going to be happy doing anything else but this. And his dad basically disowned him uh, as a result. But then reading his story of how he stuck to it, even whenever they were living on a per diem of $7.50 a day, and whenever they were living and sleeping in a van wearing dirty clothes, whenever they were, whenever he, but right before Nirvana signed their first deal, Dave Grohl's diet consisted of three corny dogs a day because he could buy three of them for 99 cents. He would eat one for breakfast and save the other two for that evening for dinner. And now I think he's worth somewhere around $400 million. But none of that mattered. That wasn't why he was doing it. He just kept going and going. He knew he was doing what he was supposed to do. And so now that's a guy that I would love to have on the show to just go, man, I, I've read your story, but I want to hear from you directly. How did you have that confirmation for so long that no matter what, and then how did you stay grounded? I mean, and the cool thing about it too, unlike a lot of rock stars, he, he writes in the book, he said, when you're standing in a stadium 
and your songs are echoing off all the walls, being being you know sung back to you. He said, "It is all it's cracked up to be, and more." Yeah, you know, he doesn't even try to hide like it's you know it's it's not as cool as what you think. He's, no, he's like, no, it's that and more. And so you, you, it's like this little kid that became a world-renowned rock star, going, "Yes, I'm a rock star, and it is awesome." And here's how I got here. So, if you ever get in contact with Dave Grohl, say, "Hey, you need to be on my buddy's podcast." So. Let's see if we can make that happen. And I do have two thoughts, and I'm curious your opinion on it. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's just stubbornness? Like he just, oh, I'm, I'm not gonna quit. Like I gotta make it. Like I can't quit. I have to do it. Here's what I take from the book. One, he, he's, he's a genius. But here's what's fun, man. It kind of like, oh man, I think this is kind of like what we're doing. You know, the first Foo Fighter album, he played every instrument i think with the exception of one track so he would actually figure like what we use garage band for dave grohl would use two cassettes recording different tracks and mixing his own demo tapes so i think he was just so obsessed with the creativity of it and he finally got to the point kind of where i think you and i are i mean imagine if you all of a sudden and granted i think i can answer for you if push came to shove and it required this, what I'm about to say for you and Emily to have food on the table and a roof over your head, Best Buy calls and says, James, we've got to have you back. And you guys are in dire straits. You go, good, good. I need a job. I have to feed Emily um, and we need a house. So, okay. But I would think like for me, that is a last, last, last resort because we know no matter how much the money, no matter the, the perceived world's version of quote-unquote security is we know it would be so so soul crushing to us that we even shudder at the thought i think that's what dave grohl he i mean it, look i mean he was basically living like a bum and then i thought about this man I, I told jim i was like imagine what it was like it was getting on the stage and playing drums was worth that moment there kind of like what you're talking about I mean, the dividends, the memory dividends, being able to know that no matter how hungry he was, no matter how bad his clothes smelt, no matter how many times the van had broken down, no matter how, you know, in just dire straits they were, there was another gig coming and it made it all worthwhile. And I think that's what I've taken from the book. It's just, he realized, man, anything else, I'm going to be freaking miserable. I have to do this. And I think that's what kept him, you know, when you line that up. I think I, I went and Jim and I watched uh, a, a lot of Hot Tots babies, and a lot, you know, now growing up, uh, perform Annie at one of the private schools here out in Bullard. And uh, I told her, I was like, you know, if I, it's a good thing that I didn't do this when I was younger because we might not have met, but if I had been able to be on Broadway, I can see why those people live in New York on nickels and dimes to get to get on that stage and do something they just thoroughly love you know i think that's it when you find that thing man that's like putting the plug into the socket the electricity lights up and you know that there's only one way to get that that's what i take from it yeah i do one other question and you talked about sort of the self-promotion aspect of not reaching out to people because they have a big audience Mm -hmm. and but i think a lot of the people that we're competing against if you consider competition people's ears mm-hmm. and showing up on apple podcasts 
they are doing that. Like they're playing that game of who's hot, who's being talked about. How can I, and I don't want to say the word trick, but how can I get them to come on my show? Like, mm -hmm. and I don't want to play that game either, but I think they are like other people are playing that game of, and it's working for them. Like they're getting audiences and they're getting reach and I sometimes am envious of that, but I don't like how they're doing it, and I don't want to do it that way. You know, here's a there's it's, believe it or not, and this isn't false flattery. There's something you told me that has that has sustained me in the worst of times on my podcast when the downloads were not coming in. You told me that, and and maybe you shouldn't correct me if I'm wrong because it's been so good. <laughs> but uh, didn't you say something like only ten percent of the podcasts out there? have a hundred or more episodes it wasn't that oh, yeah just it, there was like i i went into pod chaser or one of those mm -hmm. those engines and i was looking at self-help business entrepreneurship whatever those categories and i was looking at how many had more than 100 episodes and that was like less than 10 percent. and then i also looked at another number which was how many of them have published in the last 60 days or something yeah and that number was tiny yep. so i was like okay people are 80 percent or 90 percent of the people that have created a podcast have already quit yep and most don't even make it to 100 yep so that that's what my stress and I, then i so i took that and then i looked at joe rogan tim ferris um altature ben Ryan Holiday, even though he doesn't, I mean, Daily Stoic, I guess, is, I don't really consider that a podcast, but his writing. And it seems like there's something magical about 10 years. This, you just got to stick it out for 10 years. So I figured, okay, if less than, so already I'm beating the odds because I'm at like episode, you know, over 160. I think I've done like a total of 170 episodes, but of the ones that I actually count, uh, there's like 160, maybe this one coming up or something. So I've already beat that. And then I'm like, okay, I, I, I top, I, popped in the best Friday ever. So now I'm putting two shows out per week. And then I remember this too. Most of the podcasts I listen to, it's the 80-20 rule. I guarantee you. I've never really done this in my head, but you know, 80% of the impact comes from only 20% of the show. So if I can just be out there all the time talking to good people and good guests, as long as people that listen to the show, there's there's 20% of that show is all I need to get just really good, a, a good question to James Quandall, a good topic for you and I to talk about that will make up 80% of people's memory for that show. And I'm just going to keep building and building and building because my thought is whenever I, like I just, um, I mean, I've got uh, Clark Bertram coming on who is like one of the biggest male models of all time and everything. I mean, he has 86,000 followers on Instagram and I do, and I, and he just has a great attitude. I like watching his lives. And so I was like, man, if I can get him reached out to him, boom, he's in. We're talking next week. Now, for me, it's like, okay, what can I do to make someone like that? Since I don't have a huge social media following or anything, what can I do? Well, the only thing I can truly control is for them to look and go, well, this dude is obviously real. It's in just like a little hobby because he's putting out two episodes every single freaking week. And he's, he is create what he doesn't have a ton of followers on social media, but he's putting content out. So that's the tactic I've taken is just keep creating, keep experimenting. Don't beat myself up because something 
just doesn't take off. And here's what's happened, James. Since the, I go in to tell Jemlin, I'm like, you're not going to believe how many downloads we had today. And, you know, I mean, I'm like, it, there are times now where I'm getting like, you know, close to 400 downloads a day. And it, but it won't be for any particular episode. And so, and which for those of you that listen to this later, those, uh, you, you hear the Joe Rogan numbers, the Tim Ferriss numbers. I'm not, we're, that's, I'm nowhere near that. But if you, if you travel this road, James knows, you know, when you get to the point where you're getting 400 downloads per day, as opposed to just, you know, 400 a month. Well, when I started, my downloads were whoever I texted that episode to. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, I, really ran out of people to text pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, it's nuts, but I think what happens is the more content you create, it's like, so if I've got like, let's say that I've got like now up to a thousand using Kevin Kelly's, if I've got a thousand true fans, like if I put something out, they're going to at least take a look at it. Well, I only need 300 of them that day to listen to one of the over 150 episodes that I have out. And then boom, I've got, four, three, 400 downloads for that day. So it just starts to kind of compound. And that's just, that's what I'm going. But as far as, and then I haven't really figured out. And that's the, that's the way to me. It's like, I'm going to, I want to build my credibility and my staying power so that one day, whenever I hopefully have over 10,000 followers on Instagram and reach out to Ben, he'll go, yeah, Jason, that's worth my, my, that the opportunity cost of talking to you is worth it. You're, we we're equally yoked. You've got the followers, so I, I I love you. You're like I love you as my brother, but look, dude, saying yes to you means I'm saying no to Tom Cruise wanting to come find out how to get even fitter and talk longevity on the Ben Greenfield Life podcast. So I'm like, hey, I got it. Talk to Tom, you know. So I, so I'm just trying to build credibility and staying power right now, knowing and I have all the belief in my heart. I've told everybody. You know, I, I get angry, not angry, that's a, that's a little bit harsh, but when people come up to me and they go, and I don't know if you deal with this, but you run into somebody and go, oh, st- still doing your podcast? Like, well, obviously you're not listening. I if you wish have to that ask. people knew I was doing a podcast. Maybe then I would have the uh, better numbers, you know? <laughs> well, I get, when people ask me that first, I'll go, the first thing that comes to mind is, go, well, first of all, if you're having to ask, you obviously haven't listened, so thanks a lot, pal. And then two, I think to myself, and I finally, this is my question. I'm, I'm like, or my answer, I go, the answer to that question for the next decade will always be yes. You never have to ask me again. And I say it in a light way, but I'm like, this, unless something drastic happens in my life, the answer to that question for no less than a decade will be yes. And I don't give a rat's butt how many downloads I have, whether the Stone Chiseler is ultimately a bestseller or any other book that comes after that, I do not care. For 10 years, I'm going to be showing up, maybe not up here in this room, but I'm going to be showing up somewhere and putting together an Improve Always and Always Jason Wright show. And I think that goes so well with the middle of our conversation when we were talking about investing. And it is about being committed to doing the reps day after day, they're not always going to be fancy and in big lights and glorious, but in time you will be a millionaire if you stick to those habits. I think it's the same for what you're doing. I think you're right. And you know what? You just said something there that's, I think, very profound. If you're doing it for that reason, it, and a lot of people around will think that's why you're doing it, but you're like, oh, 
God, what do you want to be famous? Or if you're doing this sort of thing to be famous and to get a huge following, that's why so many people don't make a hundred episodes because you're probably not going to. It's well, it, it's yeah, it's it's actually really easy. There's a there's a Brendan Kane, I think is the name of the author. He wrote a book called One Million Followers, and it's got some good tactics in there if you can get behind the premise of the book. But you can buy a million followers right away, but yeah. you cannot buy a hundred engaged fans. You exactly. can't buy it. You have to put the work in and show up day after day after day. And that's not just for podcasters. That's for businesses and teachers and anything. You have to put the work in day after day. You can't buy it. There's no shortcut to being fit and healthy. There's no shortcut to traveling internationally. There's no shortcut to feeling good. You have to put in the work and it's not glorious and you have to do it every single day. And that's when people ask me why I'm doing my podcast, it's completely selfish. I read a book. I have more questions. I want to talk to the person and get them answered. And I do that. And if other people can benefit from it, excellent. And so Same. that's Same. why I do it. Same. Satisfy your curiosity, man. And the, and the, the thing is, that's what I would tell people. It's like, I know I'm not that unique. If I if I have the questions, there's, there's a, a good chunk of the population out there that probably does as well. I'm just going to go ask them. And, and I tell you, man, it has been one of the most rewarding um, exercises. I, just, I thank God almost every day when I'm writing my journal and I'm doing my gratitude journal. I, I thank him for this podcast. And, it ha- and the cool thing is it has nothing to do with celebrity, finance, or anything like that. It's like, it's, it's like times like this. It's it's why you and I are, are friends. It's what brought us together. It's what has brought me friendships with all, people literally all over the world uh, that I would not have had otherwise. I just, I consider myself really lucky, and, and I'm going to stay at it, brother, and so are you if I have anything to do with it. You know, I've got another buddy of mine that's uh, an author, and I told him, I said, hey, I'm going to be pinging you. Man, just keep writing. Just keep writing. Just just keep, it, it doesn't, don't, and write for you. Like Tim, Tim Ferriss says, write the book that you want to read. Don't write for everybody else. Just do the show you want to do and, and have joy in the, and like we talked about before, this is our birdhouse. We're making our birdhouse, you know, be happy making your birdhouse and step back. And as long as you're proud of it, Hey, go make another one. So that's it, dude. I love that. Well, man, this has been an awesome conversation from uh, Tyler, Texas to Norway. Thank you, brother, for letting me bust in on your vacation for a little while, man. I really appreciate this. It's my pleasure. I, I don't even know what time is it here. It's no, it's not that time. 630. In so, the evening? I, in I the evening. Okay. Yeah, so, man, yeah, if yeah. I've had you up this early, dude, I apologize. We're plus, we're, plus, we're seven hours ahead. But okay. Yeah. It's uh, it's a beautiful day in Norway, and I think Monday we're going to go check out a Norwegian escape room. Tomorrow we're going to go to an Anglican church that, oh, man, this thing, I think it said 11th century. Oh, gosh. Church? I don't know if that's like the year 1000. I'm not yeah. really even sure what that <laughs> that's is. That's an old but church, dude. Old. And they're still doing worship services there in English. So that will be interesting. Oh, that's and so cool, man. So we're just living our life and uh, just just uh, figuring things out each day and trying to improve, seriously, every day. I When I first heard you say improve always and always, I'm like, man, that should have been my thing because you know, that's so important and we have to get better every day and it doesn't have to be monumental. It doesn't have to be big or amazing. Just a little bit each day makes such a big difference. 
It does, my brother. Well, man, have fun. Tell Emily I said thank you for sharing you for this time with the Jason Wright Show audience. And you guys have fun and check in with me, man. I want to hear what's going on. I'll, obviously, I'll keep up through Instagram. And maybe before you come back, we'll, or when you come back, we'll have a full recap and a download of this again. I want to hear more stories. All right. That sounds great. Well, hey, folks, that does it for this episode of The Jason Wright Show. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been a Texas Titan Media production. All rights reserved. Hey, until we meet again, do me a favor. Go out and endeavor to improve. Always in all ways. I'm out. <laughs>